0: Well, good morning. Good morning. I like your sparkly butterfly. That's cool. I it is very pretty. Um, I, got, I, I got to, she went to a store. That is cool. Really I didn't hear what you said. I'm sorry. She went to a store. You went to a store. Is that where you got your, your dress with the butterfly? Uh-huh. Oh, my grandma and my mom went with me. Oh, so they went with you. What, did you drive or did they drive? Um, no, mommy drives. Mommy drives. But it's too exactly close right now. Oh, yeah, David knows how to drive. I know, I saw a picture that David knows how to drive now. That's pretty cool. That's my plan. Very cool. Did. Very, very cool. Well, do you see what I have here today? What is this? Uh-oh. This is my Bible. Isn't this great, big, huge Bible? It's so big it doesn't fit in my pocket. In fact, I, I might have to get a backpack to be able to carry it if I want <laughs> to be able to read it. It's huge. But you know what? Today is the day that we call Pentecost, and you know what Pentecost is? Yeah. Pentecost is the day that we celebrate. Actually, it's the Jewish holiday is called Shavuot, and it's the day that they celebrate the day that God gave the Ten to Moses, so he could bring it down to the people and read out the law, the, 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 the word of God to the people. And so the people of, of God always were required to have the Bible that God had in them. And Moses, when he had it, it was actually made out of rocks. They were literally big pieces of stone that God had carved the words into and Moses had to carry them down. Well, thankfully, they're not rocks anymore that we have to carry, but they're on pieces of paper and words. And But do you know that in the Jewish culture, even not just the Bible, but they had books of law that they had to follow. There were over 600 different laws that they had to memorize. And no, backwards, forwards, inside and out. Why? So that they would never, ever do anything that would make God upset. They never wanted to upset God, so they had to memorize these and carry them. And it was harder to always have to carry this word with them. I mean, literally, and they couldn't carry the word with them. So they would have to go talk to the rabbi. They'd have to go talk with their teachers and find out what does the word of God say about this particular thing. And the rabbi's job was to keep it all in their brain and to memorize it and to know it. It was hard to always keep track of the word of God. But you know what God said? A time is going to come. Well, Ms. Wong, would you bring up that first slide for me? It says in the book of Jeremiah, a time is going to come. Let me read it to you out of the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 31, and it's verses 31 to 34. So Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a a, a husband to them, said the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, said the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every person. His neighbor and every man, and his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their sin, and I will remember their sin no more. God said the day is going to come where we're not going to have to actually carry the Bible around, but He's actually going to put the Bible in our hearts. Mm-hmm. There's another verse I want to read to you. It's, in, it's on the next slide, this Fawn. It's in Exodus. I mean, excuse Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. Let me read this one out of the Bible here. Ezekiel chapter 36. And it's 26 and 27. It says, A new heart God will give you. And a new spirit God is going to put inside of you. And God is going to take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And He'll give you a new heart of flesh. And He will put His spirit in you. And cause you to walk in His ways... So that you can keep doing the things that God wants you to do. The Bible says in Ezekiel that God is going to send His Spirit and put it right in us so that we can know how to live the way God wants us to live. And that's what happened on Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God came down and it sounded like <laughs> this huge wind, and it said that there was like flames that came down, and they literally had flames on top of, oh, I can't know if I can do this without damaging Miss Elsie's thing. <laughs> it's like each one of them had flames on the top of their head. Isn't mm-hmm. it could I put it out? No, put it. i just glad like, you didn't set fire
1: here. Well, if it happens,
0: it happens. <laughs> <laughs> but literally... And all of a sudden, it says that the people, hundreds of people out in the streets, could hear them talking as if they were speaking in their own languages. And you see these, these cards out here, they all say Jesus is Lord in all these different languages. And that's what God promised in his word. In Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, he fulfilled it on the day of Pentecost. He sent his Holy Spirit to begin his followers and to teach us how to live the way of the supposed so that the Bible. Like we still haven't had the life, but God's Holy Spirit's right inside each and every one of us teaching us how we're supposed to live. Mm-hmm. That's what Pentecost is all about. Mm-hmm. So when you think about Pentecost, I want you to remember wind, and I want you to remember flames, and most importantly, I want you to remember God's Holy Spirit is with you everywhere you go, helping you to know how to live. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you bless these kids. I ask you help them, Father, to learn what it means to follow you, to listen to your Holy Spirit's voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Okay, you guys can go sit, and I'm going to go back to my place, and we'll get started. With this. Where do I put this Bible? It's going to take me just a little bit to get set up. Because normally I don't need notes, but this morning's sermon, God has just been moving. I've been preparing all week long and I got tons of notes and I hope I get it through with it in at least the next hour and a half. So anyways, take my time. Good. We'll stay here till five. All right. (laughs) All right. You just heard, you just heard me tell the kids about Pentecost. That's not what we're going to talk about. Okay, let's move on. No, it is. It's, it's the basis of what we're talking about today. But I wanted to help us to take a deeper look and understanding of what this is all about. Why um, Pentecost is such a big deal. Um, the very first thing you need to understand is that um, Pentecost, as I told the kids, is actually, uh, coincides with the Jewish festival called Shavuot. And that happens... On the 50th day after Passover. That's where the word Pentecost comes from. It's 50. So so Passover happens. And then 50 days later, there is this event called Shavuot. When all of the Jewish men have to gather in Jerusalem. Because it's one of the big festivals. So there's this natural thing in the nation of Israel. Where all of the people have gathered for the festival. When God pours out his Holy Spirit and causes this big, huge public spectacle. Okay, if you go back and read Acts chapter 1, it literally says, I mean, Acts chapter 2. Elsie read to us this morning that the people in Jerusalem were like, what in the world is going on? And some people go, ah, they're a bunch of drunks. They're just 9 o'clock in the morning and they're already off their... They're rear end on drama, on alcohol. And the other people go no, no, no. We we can actually hear them speaking in our own language, but they're not from our area. How in the world? And it's this cool thing. And then if you read through all of that, you can see God used that to bring 3,000 souls into right relationship with God that day. So there was a very incredible, powerful, miraculous thing that happened on the day of Pentecost. But there's more to it than just this historical event. It is something that applies to us today, and I want us to get a hold of that and take it home with us and chew on it for the rest of the week. So, if you will, bring up the next slide. The, go past the the Joe the Ezekiel and then, and then the next slide should be Acts chapter one verses four through eight. There we go. Okay, Acts chapter one verses four through eight. Now I'm going to read all of the verses. I couldn't get them all on the slide. It was just too much words to try and put it all on the slide. But Acts chapter one, verses four through eight. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There was more that it said here, but we're not going to worry about that this morning. This is literally happening on the 40th day after Passover. 10 days before Pentecost. This is the day, and this is the conversation Jesus had with his followers just before he ascended to heaven. He went back to be with the Father in heaven. And if you go back a couple of weeks ago, we were looking in the Gospel of John, and you'll remember that I said that Jesus said to his disciples, unless I leave, the Spirit cannot come. So that's what's playing out right now is the word of God was God. The father is going to send his spirit. We've just read it in Jeremiah. We just read it in Ezekiel. God, the father is going to send his spirit. Why? To teach us how to live, to have the law within us, to know how to live for God, to have the power to live for God. Jesus, a few days before all of this said, I am about to go to the father and the father is going to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit. Now on the day, on the 40th day after Passover, 10 days before Shavuot, before Pentecost, Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives with his friends and he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem. You wait here until the promise from the Father comes. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you. So there's three things in this section. Verses four through eight. Jesus said, wait. Because the promise is about to happen. When the promise happens. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now they didn't have a clue. What he was talking about. What does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? We're going to look at that in just a little bit. And he said, when you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. You are going to receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. But you've got to wait. Okay. Okay, we'll wait. So then, literally, it says right after this, Jesus ascends. Now, I cannot explain to you what or how. In my mind, He literally just floated up into heaven until the clouds covered His vision, covered their vision where they could no longer see Him. I can't explain that. I don't know how it happened. I just know it says that it happened. And I have to believe it. And then it says after they're all standing there going, Wow. And then it says there's these two guys standing there in white go, Hey guys, what are you doing? What are you doing standing here with your mouths open? Go do what he told you to do. And so it says that they went and they waited. Now, If you look further in chapter 1 of Acts, let's look at it. Jesus returns to the Father. Verse 12 now, it says, Then they, the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olives, which is near Jerusalem. It's about a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. And it names all the different disciples that are there. And then verse 14 it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now, what in the world does that phrase with one accord mean? I'll tell you, because that's a very important thing to know for what we're looking at today. What was Jesus command? Go back into Jerusalem, because they're outside of Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. He says, go back into Jerusalem. They go to the upper room where their headquarters was. That's where the the Last Supper was. That's where they are hiding out from the Jews on the night that Jesus resurrected, the night following Jesus' resurrection, where Jesus appears to them and they give him a piece of fish and Thomas puts his finger in all that's That's all in the upper room. So they go back to that same place. Scholars tell us they think that that was actually John Mark's mother's home that she made her home available for the the headquarters of the the early church. So they go back there, and it says they were all in one accord. That is a Greek word. Bring up the next slide, please. That's a Greek word. It's homothumadon. And I am so sad that Natalie's not here because she introduced me to that word. And I was so proud I practiced that word all week long so that I could say it correctly in her presence and then she has the audacity to be sick this morning. I mean I literally listened to so many different videos on YouTube because you wouldn't believe how many idiots don't know how to pronounce homothumadon. I was one of them until this week. But anyway, homothumadon. It is a Greek word. It is part of the New Testament. And it is a compound word, it's an adverb, and it means, homo means same, thumos means passion. It can also be voice. It can also be breath. So same passion, same voice, same breath. The idea is they were all aligned, all in agreement all focused on the one thing. Now, think about the disciples. That was not normal. No. The disciples were always... I mean, you can look at throughout the Gospels. Remember the time where John and James' mother says, I have something I want you to do for me. And Jesus is like, what is that? I want you to let my boy sit on either side of you when you come into the kingdom. And Jesus said, well, can you drink the cup that I'm going to be drinking from? Oh, sure. Well, he says, I know you're going to be able to drink the cup, but that's not for me to give. You can't have those places assigned. That's between you and the the Father. Who's going to give those seats to him ever? But there's always this bickering. It says that there was bickering about, "Ah, we didn't bring enough bread or we did it. it, 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 it." And and literally, Jesus is like, I mean, I I was reading one person this week and it said, that's probably why he only stayed on the earth for three years. (laughs) He couldn't take it anymore. But something happened through Jesus's command, and He said, "You guys need to go and just tarry. You go sit quietly." Well, they didn't just sit quietly. It says they they devoted themselves to prayer and to reading of the Word and going and worshiping in the temple. That's what they did. So Jesus ascends on the fortieth day after passion after after the the. the uh, Passover. For ten days, these guys are in the upper room together aligning themselves. Coming to one accord, one passion, one heart, one mind. United, if you will. They didn't know what was coming. They just knew that a promise had been made. Wait. My father's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when that happens. But you must wait. And through that period of waiting, God was able to bring them to the point where they were in one accord. Homo thumadon. Next slide. Homothumadon only occurs 11 times, depending on which scholar you talk to, in the scriptures. And most of them, 10 of them, occur in the book of Acts. Not all of them are good. Some of them are enemies of the people of God who are united in their purpose to stomp out what's going on. Okay? Because the word homothumadon doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just simply they are united in purpose. They are the same voice, the same mind, the same passion. They are together. They are united. They are a team. However you want to look at it. But this section uh, that, that we're looking at right now, talking about the, the homothumadon that is being, that's being displayed by the disciples, is in anticipation of a promise. Now, go to the next slide. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. I love, 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 love this passage. To me, this is one of the clearest passages in Scripture that talks about the Trinity. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This tells us if you are a person who is in right relationship with God, if you have confessed your sins and repented of your sins and claimed the promise of salvation through grace, through the blood of Christ that was shed for us on the cross and the resurrection of Christ from the tomb, then you have the promise that God will give you the Spirit. Every Christian has the Spirit. Now, they didn't until Pentecost, okay? Prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given intermittently, but not abroad, across, the, 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 uh, across the board. But once Pentecost happened, it became the norm. It became the practice, I mean, not practice, it became the, the, the experience of all Christians. So anytime a human being comes into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that moment that it happens, God, the Holy Spirit, is poured out into your life. But that's not the baptism. With the Holy Spirit. That's right. There's a difference. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Bring up the next slide, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. This is one of the defining, defining passages of Scripture when it talks about what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or entirely sanctified. There's a lot of different phrases that we're going to look at in just a second. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. God does the sanctifying. See, that's that's one of the things that gets kind of confusing for Christians, especially us Western culture Christians. Because it's our desire to do. We want to be all that we can be for God. We want to we control our spiritual formation. We want to grow ourselves into Christ. But there are things you can't control. One of which is, you can't come to God unless God draws you. That's number one. It's very clearly displayed in, in Scripture. Number two. Once you acknowledge that you're a sinner, you have to come to God and ask for Him to save you. You can't save yourself. Once you are saved, God pours out His Holy Spirit on you. But there comes a point where you realize that's not enough. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And when you come to that point, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 is what comes into play. God the Father Himself baptizes you in the Holy Spirit or entirely sanctifies you. And we're going to look at what that means in just a second. Take me back to the next slide. I mean, let's go to the next slide. I've highlighted this second section. Okay, we, we've talked about this idea of, 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 of waiting in Jerusalem for the promise. The the homothumadon that happened while they were waiting. But the next section of this passage, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, he says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I told you already, the word baptized in the Holy Spirit, the phrase baptized in the Holy Spirit, it is also known as um, entire sanctification. It's also been called Christian perfection. It's also been called holiness. It's, It's all these different terms and it's all talking about the same thing, so let's look at what this same thing is. Go ahead and bring up the next slide. First of all, sanctification. Not just entire sanctification, but sanctification. What in the world is that? We've talked about it over the last number of weeks. I don't have time this morning to go back into all of the details of it. But understand, and we've said this before, sanctification is being set apart for holy purposes, being set apart for God. But in the the life of a Christian, from the moment you become saved all the way through until the time that you go to be with God, four things, or four processes, or four... Phases, however you want to look at it. Initially, you are sanctified. You become a Christian. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes in. You you become adopted, justified, forgiven. Um, you're a child of God. Entire. You are initially sanctified. Then you begin to become more and more like Christ. You progressively sanctified. Because see, progressive sanctification is kind of a fluid thing. It happens all the time. You're becoming more and more and more like Christ. Progressive sanctification glorification other people call glorification final sanctification you cross over into eternity and now you are totally sanctified you are now in the presence of god you are now no more anything that's that that that's, that that's defiling or anything that that makes god un, unhappy or displeased but there's this This phase, this process, this section, whatever you want to call it on the timeline of being a Christian called entire sanctification or baptism with the Holy Spirit or Christian perfection, whatever you want to call it. And what is that specifically? And that's what we're going to talk about. And it is evidenced for us in Acts chapter two, the passage that we read this morning about the coming of the Holy Spirit, because it actually happens in the lives of Christians. Now, entire sanctification um, is that coming of of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the, the, uh, uh, how do I say it? Let me, let me, if I had to, if I had to liken it to something physical, which it, it breaks down when you try to do that, imagine, imagine that you want to be completely filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, and let's call the Holy Spirit water in this case. Okay, so you've got a, you've got a jug filled with rocks, mud, and sand. And then the Holy Spirit is poured in, this water is poured in and poured in and poured in, and it's coming in in such a violent rush that it's literally starting to stir up all of that mud and sand and, and, and rocks. And as it's continually pouring in, you're beginning to see the mud flow out. Then you see the sand flow out. But there's still the heavier rocks in there. So the jug is not completely filled, completely filled, until those rocks are removed, which then allow the water to completely fill the jug. Does that make sense? That's what happens with entire sanctification. There, When you are initially sanctified, when you come into relationship with God, the water starts flowing. The Holy Spirit is being poured into your life. And the mud is going away. Less and less and less. Is it clear? I mean, muddy and murky. More and more it's clear. Lots of clear. Lots of clear. But there's still some areas of holdout in your life that the Holy Spirit of God is not able to occupy because they're being blocked. It's being blocked because there's these things That are not removed. That, I don't know how to describe it other than that. There's, let me, let me give you one more example. And this is, this is something that happened in my own household. Okay? My wife is fastidious. I mean, she really is. She's fastidious when it comes to her kitchen. And she is always, always rearranging her kitchen, making sure that everything's where it's supposed to be. And just recently, there was a funk in our refrigerator. And she knew that that refrigerator had been gone through. There was all fresh food in there. There was nothing in there that was spoiling. There was, but it was nasty. And she's like, what in the world? And so literally she spent hours taking stuff out, taking the shelves and the drawers out, washing everything meticulously. And she's like, what in the world is this? Funk? Well, in all of that, in the cheese drawer, she finds a rotting lemon. Now, I asked her, now, why did you put a lemon in the cheese drawer? And she said, I always put fruit and vegetables in the cheese drawer. Don't give me a hard time. (laughs) Okay. But it was rotting to the point that every time you open the refrigerator, you go, whoa, what is that? And it took intentionality to find what was the rot, to remove it so that there was no more smell. And then it had to be cleaned and sanitized, and then it was fine. And now you open up our refrigerator and it smells good. That's entire sanctification. Let's look at that a little bit more. Bring up the next slide, please. Jesus said, when you tarry, there's going to come a point where I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit on you and you will receive power when you come. What power? Bring up the next slide. This is the power. First of all, God's part. Because see, there's two parts to entire sanctification. The first part, God's part. When you are entirely sanctified, when the, that, those rocks are removed, or when that rotting lemon is removed, whatever you want to look at, you receive two things from God. Number one, power over sin. What? The best way to describe it is this. Every single time I walk by that computer, I want to turn on that one channel, that one website that I know I'm not supposed to look at because it's wrong, but I feel drawn to it. No matter now, this I'm just making this up. This is not my testimony. OK, I feel drawn to this. I feel I have no choice. I have to look at those images. It's something that I'm, I am can't overcome it. No matter how hard it is, I pray about it. God, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Forgive forgives me. God, help me. Help me. Help me. And I still get drawn to it and I can't break it. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, Woe is me, who will rescue me from this body of death? Who can take this out of me? I can't do it on my own. The Holy Spirit of God can. The Holy Spirit of God does in entire sanctification. When there is a brokenness that has not been corrected yet, As a result of the fall in the garden, every single human being is born with original sin. Every single human being has that deformity in their image of God, the amago dei. Every single human being has this desire to do what is selfish or what is opposite to what God wants. You don't have to teach a two year old to be selfish. It comes normally, naturally, not because that's how God created them, but that's because there's a brokenness, spiritual brokenness that every single one of us are, are, are inherit, if you will. And it is at the time of entire sanctification when it is finally dealt with. God, it said, Jesus said, when you, when the Holy Spirit comes in, you will receive power, power over sin. It is not that you will never sin again. It is that you are empowered by the Spirit of God to not sin again. You still have the choice. You can still choose to go sit at that computer. But you are no longer compelled beyond release. It says in First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen or thirty one, I can never remember. There is no temptation. There is Ah I didn't write it down. There are, every human being is tempted. But with every temptation, God will provide a way out. That's a promise in the word of God. So as long as once you are entirely sanctified, this power over sin is there's the temptation. And you say, I am not doing that by the Holy Spirit's power in my life. I am not doing it. And you walk away from that sin. Now, if you fall into sin, you ask God to forgive you and he will forgive you. You ask God to correct again that part that still is being drawn there. So it doesn't mean that it's a once forever, because it's possible that you could still go back. Mm -hmm. But you are given the power to not sin. That's one of the parts of God's part in this idea of entire sanctification. The other part of God's part in entire sanctification is you are empowered to serve God. You are empowered to love like Jesus loved. You are empowered to be the representation to the world of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is your job to bring light. It is your job to be salt. It is your job to display Christ to the world. And it is through the power of the Holy Spirit in you to live that way. What does it say in the book of Galatians chapter 5? The the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Where does that come from? The residing Holy Spirit flowing out of you. And that happens in entire sanctification. That's the power that God gives you for service. So God does his part when we are entirely sanctified. But there's our part to play in this idea of sanctification. And that's the thing I want to focus most on this morning. Bring up the next slide, please. The very first thing in our part of consecration, I mean, of, of, of being entirely sanctified, is the idea of consecration. Two quick stories. First of all, the quail in the closet. My wife will know what I'm talking about. Many, many, many years ago, Renee's older brother, Gary, and his wife, Debbie, and their kids came to visit Renee's parents in San Angelo, Texas. It's about a a three-and-a-half-hour drive from where they lived in Temple, Texas. And Gary was so excited to show his daddy this new hunting jacket that he had just gotten that was all pockets. And what it was, it was when you go out hunting quail, you can take the quail that you got and just load them up in all the pockets. I don't have to go any farther. You already know what's happening. (laughs) So Gary went out hunting quail with his father and his brother and had a great time and got a lot of quail. Then when they got done hunting, got back to the vehicle, took off the jacket, threw it in the trunk of the car with the guns, got in the vehicle and drove home. We had a nice weekend visiting. And then Gary and Deb and the kids all got in their car and headed home. Oh, it's exhausting. It's 11 o'clock and I to gotta get up early in the morning. Just throw that in the closet, go to bed, get up in the morning, shower, And then a week or two later, what is that funk as I walk down the hall? Ah! Okay, that's one. Number two. Well, consecration is getting rid of that. (laughs) Opening up that closet and getting rid of that. He didn't want to throw away that jacket. That was an expensive jacket. But there was no keeping it. It had to be thrown away. Number two. Imagine, ladies, I'm going to I'm going to say ladies, okay, because we're going to pick on the guys. Imagine you are standing at the altar. It is your wedding day. And the priest or the minister says to your fiance, do you promise to honor this person, to love her, to cherish her and forsaking all others? Give yourself only unto her. Yes, I do, but except I want to have, I want to have the opportunity to still go out with Sally because Sally and I are just great friends and we're kind of really close and so I still kiss her a little bit, but I promise we won't have intercourse, but we'll still have a, a close romantic relationship, but just Sally. Everyone else I forsake. Are you going to marry that man? Why not? He's vowing to forsake everyone else. He just wants to reserve Sally. That's all. That's consecration. God says, forsaking all others. Only me. Are you willing? Only me. And you see, when we are stuck in our carnal state as Christians, we're Christians. We have the Holy Spirit with us. We're trying to live the life for God. But there's this part of us still broken from the fall that wants to go against God's will. And so we still want to go out with Sally. Even though we love God, and God is our husband, but we want to go out with Sally. And there's that, ugh, I have to finally say, enough! I will never see Sally again! Ever! That's consecration. Next slide. Homothumadon? Homothumadon? Again? Yes. Why? Because you as an individual have to have complete, 100% unified mind, voice, passion. I am a servant of the living God. End of discussion. I will not allow anything else in my life to violate my relationship with God. Nothing. If it means I can never then, so be it. If it means I have to give away, then so be it. If it means I have to, so be it. The old timers used to call it the unknown bundle. They would say, you would come to God and say, God, everything is yours. No longer is there anything in my life. I completely, 100% consecrate myself to you. Next slide. But there's also our part is faith. Just as you bring the next slide up, please. Just as you receive the Holy, I mean, receive Jesus as your savior by faith, for it is by grace that you've been saved, but through faith and this, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. You have to receive the entire sanctification or the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith. J.B. Chapman was a general superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene. Early, early, early days. I mean, we're talking early 1900s. And J.B. Chapman used the story out of his own life to explain entire sanctification in one of his sermons, entitled, Entire Sanctification. I'm not going to give you the whole story. I'm going to give you a real quick synopsis. Now, think about this. This is back in the early 1900s. This is long before there was a Sears and Roebuck. Okay? Okay? His brother, JB's brother, received a little postcard that said, if you will send us 15 cents, we will send you our brand spanking new, never been produced before catalog of all of the things that we offer through mail order. We will send it to you free of charge, but we're asking you to cover 15 cents of the cost. It costs us us over 25 cents to, to, to mail it to you. So, I mean, it's cheaper for us to just not do it. But we want to get this in your hands. And so his brother was like, I'll spend 15 cents. And he gets the catalog. Well, it becomes so popular in the house that he's like, this is mine. I want everybody else to have it. So he sends off money and gets more catalogs and gives them out to his family and some of his friends. Well, Sears sees that this guy's a a good candidate, a good prospect. So they send him another notice. And they say, listen, you're a really good customer. So we're offering you this opportunity. You give us one dollar we will send you 15, I think it was, catalogs to do whatever you want with. Okay, so he does. And he becomes known as Mr. Sears in his community. Well, JB's brother decides he wants to buy a suit. Well, this is long before the day of pay it as you go. He can't get it unless he gives them cash. And so he has to save the money to buy the suit. And it's a lot, it's a hard thing to earn that amount of money. It's a luxury to have a suit. But J.B.'s brother wants that suit. So he takes the time to earn the money. Finally gets enough. He goes and buys a money order. He carefully fills out the order form following the instructions on the catalog, making sure he didn't make any mistake because he wanted the suit, nothing else. He didn't want to get a brown suit or a blue suit. He wanted this. And he wants to make sure they understand what he wants. So he then writes, puts in in an envelope the order form and a money order for the hard-earned money that he had, and mails it off 500 miles to a place in Chicago that he's never seen, people he's never met, he's never, ever got any proof that he's going to get anything for his money. He trusts that they are real and genuine and going to give him good quality stuff. And after a period of time, a package arrives. And he's so excited, and he opens it up, and he finds a note inside from Sears and Roebuck, and they said, sir, we are so sorry to tell you. We did not have what you asked for. So we gave you something even better. Better quality, it's longer-lasting, has a better guarantee. We hope you're okay with it. If you're not, just return it to us, and we'll pay for the shipping. But we hope that you're pleased. And he was thrilled with it. He was thrilled with it. And it became an incredible testimony. And J.B. Chaplin said... Here's how this all applies to entire sanctification. Bring up the next slide. The catalog is the Bible. Tells you all about what the offer is. And the money, what was paid for the thing that you wanted, is the blood of Christ. And the sending off the money order by mail to somebody you've never met before, and it it was a hard thing to do, that's the faith. And then the receiving of the goods is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and bring up the next slide. But J.B. said he had the faith to mail off the catalog. I mean, mail off the, the, the money order and the, and the order blank. But he didn't wake up the next morning and find that package sitting on his doorstep. He had to wait until... The company was able to receive his request, process his request, package his product, and send it to him. I don't remember in the story how long it took. But there was a period of time from the beginning, from when the faith was enacted, to the actual receipt. And JB's words were, it is our job as Christians, when we recognize that we have this need for entire sanctification, number one, we need to completely give it all to God, consecrate 100%, almost zoom on ourselves. But number two, we need to say, God, I believe that you are giving this to me because your word says... That you're going to give me a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Your word says that you're the one. When the time has fully come, that you are going to give me the Holy, the Spirit of your Son to be with me, to lead me, to guide me, to and empower me. And your word says in First Thessalonians that you are going to entirely sanctify me. There's not going to be any more mud or silt or sand or even rocks. And probably not even any deformities on the inside of that jug. Because you're going to heal that as well. So that I can be completely filled with the Holy Spirit. And God, I trust that when all of this happens. When you're entirely sanctifying me. That I will have the power that I need to overcome sin. And that I will have the power that I need to live the life that you called me to live. God, I trust you. I believe you. And you send it whenever you're ready and then tarry in Jerusalem, continuing in prayer and the reading of the word and the worship of God at church until the Holy Spirit is poured out by the power of God. See, it's God's job to decide when. It's your job to consecrate, believe, believe, and wait. Most of the time, it's really quickly after that. Amen. But it's not yours to decide. It's yours to just trust and believe. And so my question to you this morning, go ahead and bring up the last slide. My question to you this morning is this. Have you experienced your own Pentecost? Amen. I mean, I believe that you're all Christians because you wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning if you weren't. You do have the Holy Spirit with you because we understand that God initially has sanctified you and you are progressing to be more and more like Christ. But have you experienced entire sanctification? Are you living a life that has power over sin and power to love, to serve, and to honor God? And if not, why not? God's offering it. Mm-hmm. So what it means is you either, either haven't consecrated. Or you don't believe. It. Either way, that's on you. And you need to figure out between you and God why. Because if you've done what your part calls for, then it's just a matter of tarrying and waiting. God will bring about the blessing. God will baptize you with his Holy Spirit. But he will not do it unless you are homo, homo in your own mind and in your own heart. Totally in one accord that this is what you want. Saying, God, I give you everything. I give you everything. And I believe that you will pour out your Holy Spirit on me. You will You will baptize me. You will empower me for the life that you call me. You will cleanse me from the carnal nature. And God, I sit here waiting. For you to bring about that glorious work in my life. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I give you praise and honor and glory and thanks. And I ask God that you would be honored. And I pray, Father, that the people of this church would carry this word with them this coming week. Use it in their life to bring them closer to you. Father, I pray in Jesus name. Amen.